Aaron. This is Paul. And this is Wade. Welcome to part three of our San Diego Comic-Con 2019 coverage. Our first episode was in last week's Funny Books. Our second part was in last week's Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. And this is it, the culmination of all your San Diego Comic-Con news right here on Funny Books with Aaron and Polly and Wayne. We'll never talk <laughs> and Wayne. Uh, we'll never talk about it again. Never. Ever. 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 San Diego Comic-Con is stricken from the record after this podcast. That is correct. Um, actually, so it's, it's a very Marvel-centric episode of Funny Books. Uh, Which is kind of weird lately. Yeah, it's very weird lately. Uh, but I wanted to, but I snuck in some DC news right at the beginning, just because it's comic book related news that we didn't, that wasn't yet announced when we last recorded. Uh, but uh, it was announced on the final day of Comic Con. Tom King has been hinting for a while. In fact, they even said in the last page of Mister Miracle. The spiritual successor is coming soon. You know, basically his next project with Mitch Jarrett's in the, in the style of Mr. Miracle, a 12-issue maxi-series, that kind of thing. Um, and it was announced on the final day of Comic-Con that it would be Strange Adventures uh, in 2020, a 12-issue maxi-series from Tom King, Mitch Jarrett's, and Doc Shaner, um, featuring uh, Adam Strange. That looked pretty cool. I saw that preview uh, cover looked pretty hot. You know, I've always liked Doc... I, I've always liked uh, Adam Strange, but I can't point to a single story of his that I actually like. I just have always kind of liked the character. You know, um, I actually – so I the impression I get is that this will very much be like most to- of Tom King's work. <laughs> um, you know, about, kind of about PTSD and um, reactions to war and stuff like that. Uh, so I, I kind of have a feeling, at least I hope so, because I picked up all the issues on the DC 60% off sale, um, that this will have something to do with the Ranthanagarian War. Mm-hmm. That's the impression I get. Um, and kind of how Adam Strange is perceived by the Thanagarians and the Ran- the Ranians. Ranians? Uh, um, but it does seem to to tie into that somehow. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm excited for it. I- I'm in. I love Doc Shaner, and uh, oh, yeah. I loved uh, Mitch Jarrett's work on uh, uh, Mister Miracle. So I, I'm in. Yeah, I'm I mean, in. I'm I'm out on Tom King's Batman book, but Whew, out yeah. hard, <laughs> hard. Yeah, uh, I mean, it only took me 25 issues to make that. That's happen. right. To figure that out. Yeah. Have you Have you done the math? You have four dollars times 25 issues. You're in it for over a hundred dollars. Mm. I mean, that's ball. rough. That's rough. It <laughs> Did you guys me... see uh, uh, Brian Michael Bendis on Seth Meyers this week? No, but I saw you sent uh, the video out, and I haven't had a chance to review it. So tell yeah, me about same it. Same here. Um, it, it talked a little about the uh, the uh, upcoming Legion book that he's going to be doing, oh, okay. and they're redesigning the Legionnaires, and you know he'll be reintroducing the Legion into the current continuity for DC. Anyway, they they showed a little artwork, which if you follow Bendis on his Instagram, you'll see there as well. But uh, I thought it was a nice interview. Uh, you know, a lot of times Bendis annoys me in mm-hmm. interviews uh, because it's you know I don't know. There, there's a certain amount of uh, pomposity involved with him and the lisp. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I just there's just something about about his demeanor that that sometimes grates me. Even though I just I love his work, I really respect his work. Mm-hmm. But uh, I thought he was I thought it was a good interview, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll we'll include that in the show notes this week. So oh, Paul, Aaron's giving me homework. Shit. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, I can do that. Yeah, it's a little five minute video. Uh, okay. it, it was a good interview. And, you know, I did not know – I don't watch Seth Meyers uh, on the regular. I didn't know that he was such a big comic book fan. Yeah, I think he regularly has comic guests on. I think he's had Tom King and some other folks on the show as well. I knew that, uh, you know, Colbert is. I mean, he's even got Captain America's shield on his stage. But uh, I, I was unaware of that about Seth Meyers. Actually, maybe Tom King was on Colbert. I don't know. But still, pretty cool. You know, the fact oh. that Bendis is on there. And uh, I, I will definitely check out the video and I will endeavor to remember – to put it in the show notes for this oh, this week's episode. You'll, you'll remember, Paul. Or I will watch the video, even though I have no idea who Seth Meyers is. <laughs> but you know who Bendis is. That's <laughs> all you need to know. know. Who Bendis is. Seth Meyers is the other guy. <laughs> I can't get over how much. I mean, I, I've I've seen the pictures of how much weight Bendis has lost, but to see him, you know, live and talking and whatnot, and uh, he, he's t- he's a tiny man now. Yeah, he's a little bitty. I mean, he fit right in your pocket. <laughs> he's a leprechaun. He's a pocket bendis. <laughs> <laughs> so no more DC talk, Aaron. Stop it. Okay. Whoa. Whoa. You stop it. Don't say anything about the distinguished competition. This is a Same. Marvel podcast. Damn it. We're going back to our roots, huh? Yeah. We're going, going. Actually, I technically, I think the first guy we interviewed was, a, was writing a DC book, but still, nonetheless, <laughs> Um, So uh, a couple of big announcements Well actually the the biggest Announcement from San Diego Comic Con Was Marvel's upcoming Phase 4 slate Um, And actually before we discuss The movies and TV shows announced During that um, That panel you know, a lot of the programming, uh, there was a series of movies and a series of TV shows that were announced during the panel or confirmed or at least, you know, reconfirmed um, during the panel. Uh, you know, all those TV shows will be on the upcoming Disney Plus. And it was announced that for current or I guess for subscribers of Hulu, they will be offering Disney because Disney owns Hulu also they'll be offering um, to Hulu subscribers Disney Plus as an add-on option so that way you don't have to download a separate app really yes huh so if you have Hulu you can add Disney Plus to it now that being said I don't know if the Disney Plus app is going to be like cool and you'll you know lose something yeah. if you don't have it that way true um, yeah. but and I don't know, they haven't announced pricing if it's going to be cheaper to do it, to do it as an add-on or not. Um, but if you're a current Hulu subscriber, at least you won't have to download a separate app or anything like that um, when Disney given, Plus launches. Given Disney's market share, I can't help but think that the, the uh, compatibility with the app, right, is going to be ubiquitous. I mean, that it's just going to be everywhere. Yeah. That uh, it won't be the issues that we've had, you know, that Wayne and I have had with uh, the DC Universe app. Okay. It's going to be, you know, the, the the Disney app will be everywhere you want to be. Yeah, exactly. It won't be a year yeah. later and still not on PlayStation. Yeah. Right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so actually, why don't we start talking about the TV shows before we get into the movies proper? Um, none of the TV show announcements were necessarily new TV shows, but um, some inf- so, some new information was announced about them. I was about to say, one was for me. I hadn't heard about the What If cartoon. 
Oh, I had. Um, yeah, so the, one of the, oh, the pieces look, is the listen one. Listen to how self-important Paul is. Well, duh. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, so What If is one of the TV shows. It's going to be an animated show, but featuring the voice casts, um, or featuring the actors from the movies voicing the characters in the show. Um, you know, I guess it's just going to be a series of, of different What If stories. And someone was saying that if you zoom in on the What If logo image... There's actually an image of zombie Captain America in there. Uh, so perhaps we'll get a Marvel zombies what if story. I'm actually really excited about that one. Uh, I haven't gotten into a Marvel animated series in a while. Yeah. But this one, it, I think it's going to hit right what I look for. Because I'm a big what if fan. Yeah, it should be interesting. I, I liked that Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes or whatever. Oh, yeah, that, that one was, was great, but that yeah. was a while ago. Yeah, I haven't seen anything since. They've had, like, two different Avengers series since then that weren't good. Nah. Well, I, I got to say, I, I cannot muster any energy at all for Wanda and Vision. Well, that's the, the – so WandaVision – it's not Wanda and Vision. It's WandaVision. Oh, um, cause that, cause that's a better title. Uh, uh-huh. but it, it supposedly, uh, WandaVision plays heavily into the upcoming Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. Uh, so those two will be very tightly connected somehow with Scarlet Witch appearing in both. Um, I'm assuming that the WandaVision has something to do with an alternate reality and, you know, and thus, plays into the Doctor Strange movie. So they're going to force you to watch it, Aaron, if you want to understand that Doctor Strange movie. See, I I think it's important that you take the two characters that I like the least from the Avengers movies and make a whole TV show around them. (laughs) Like the Great Lakes Avengers. Uh, Or West Coast Avengers. I would rather see West Coast Avengers. (laughs) Or Great Lakes Avengers, for that matter. (laughs) Well, and the thing, I actually love both characters, just not from the movies. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I love them in the comics. Can't stand them in the movies. I can't say I like them in either, to be yeah. frank. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I am excited about Falcon and Winter Soldier, that, that kind of buddy cop uh, yeah, TV show. It surprises show that they're me that that's going to be a TV show. I just assumed that was going to be in the movies. And so when, when they announced that for the TV show, I was like, damn. Yeah. I well, mean, what I think they're doing there is they're delaying. Falcon taking, you know, taking the Captain America role, uh-huh. you know, like this is probably his journey to accept that he's Captain America kind of thing. Yeah. What I like about particularly that going to series is that, you know, you can do a lot more uh, character building and backstory building. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think those two characters need that. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I like that idea. Yeah. They may also be testing to see, is there enough interest in them? to hold their own big budget movie. Yeah, that's fair because I would say that while I like both actors, I struggle to think of them as leading men. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, you, you, you could have a very good point there, Wayne. Um, same with Hawkeye. As much as I like Jeremy Renner, like that guy's not going to bring in a billion dollars at the box office. Right. So I think it was smart to make Hawkeye a, a TV series um, that will apparently also feature Kate Bishop. I'm excited about this. Yeah, and the the art in the, uh, the the little trailer, I guess, teaser that they showed, very indicative of the Matt Fraction run on the title, even though that's a very different character yeah. than the Hawkeye we have um, in the movies. Yeah. 
And, no, I'm excited. It yeah. should be fun. And the other one's Loki, um, which we, you know, again, most of these we already knew were coming out. Um, Loki uh, does feature Tom Hiddleston, uh, I guess, but not necessarily as the only Loki. I think he'll be telling stories about himself as a younger Loki. But, uh, yeah, that, so that, that, that should be an interesting one, too. Apparently t- playing off of the uh, fact that Loki, that the reality has been altered as a um, result of uh, of the events in Avengers Endgame, where Loki escaped right. with the um, Tesseract. Yeah. And then there's the movie slate. We already talked about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and I gotta say, I love the freaking title. I do too, but if it's going to require me to watch WandaVision, uh, (laughs) that's going to be problematic. (laughs) Yeah. I like the first Doctor Strange movie. I'm, I don't know, with the title, I'm not sure on this one. So, I like Ish, the first Doctor Strange movie. I like Cumberbatch, um, and, you know, did some interesting visual things, but the film itself is not great. Um, At least, you know, my opinion. I don't love it. But you know, I, I I'll give it a shot. You know, they're trying to they're they're saying they're trying to bring some horror elements into it, which they technically said about the first Doctor Strange, and it wasn't. But I, I've always loved Doctor Strange. Um, I like the way Cumberbatch plays him. So, you know, verdict is out on that one. Uh, and in fact, I why don't, why don't we go from my least excited? I, well, I, I we've already passed up my least excited. I, we'll, we'll, <laughs> but uh, I'll hit with my next least excited announcement. The Eternals. Yeah, yeah I care less. I, the only thing that get that that I, I I'm going to allow Marvel the benefit of the doubt that they've got a story to tell here. The story that I assume they're going to tell is uh, about the Celestials, right? Mm-hmm. Because the the I, I and I I mean, could it be? You know, we know that Thor is going to disappear at some point yeah right um because spoilers natalie portman is returning in her role as jane foster to become you know thor um so if if that's the case could it be that something happens in the eternals movie you know because thor was really part of that whole celestials conflict i just i wonder about that i mean is there a spot where that 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 hasn't been revealed that you know Thor maybe doesn't end in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, but maybe he ends somewhere else. It's possible because Thor: yeah. Love and Thunder supposedly takes place before Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Volume oh, really? Three. Yeah, because it, oh. it 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 does come out first. Um, oh. You know, with Guardians of the Galaxy holding until James Gunn is done with the Suicide Squad, which I don't even think has started filming yet. Oh wow. Um, so, you know, we're, we're not getting Guardians of the Galaxy till I think, 2022 is what they said. Wow. So, yeah, Thor Love and Thunder will, will definitely come first. And like you said, Jane Foster um, returning uh, and, and taking the role of Thor, which I got to say, I actually like the Jane Foster Thor. And we're going to talk about the new Valkyrie book here in a couple of minutes. I like the Jane Foster Thor character. I know we have mixed, you know, some on the podcast have mixed or negative feelings about that character. I actually really like that idea, that concept. I'm excited to see it in motion. I really don't like Natalie Portman, though. Well, um, I, like I wish Natalie they had recast. Portman. I like Natalie Portman, but 
are they, I, I hope they're going to CG her up quite a bit because she's awfully short to play a Thunder God. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you know, in theory, she might actually just... Natalie Portman may still be playing Jane Foster, but just like in the comics, she may be replaced That's with what I'm an actual is, Thor, yeah. Yeah, is there is there a different actress that plays the, the superhero part of that? I mean, that's... Because I, I just have a hard time picturing, you know, Natalie Portman wandering around with, you know, Mjolnir. Yeah. So that's a good point. You know, it, it did, it, you know, unlike. Well, I, I think when you're paying an actress that much and she has that big of a name, they're not going to replace her even for half of her character. I don't know. Like, I, you know, it, it, it depends on which way they go with it. Right. It could be if they went with the comic version. Yeah. In, in theory, she would be swapped out with a. You know, a yeah. tall, blonde, goddess-looking person. So, I mean, and we already talked about how that will, you know, feature the same writer and director as Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited about that one. What I'm less excited about, and I, I feel like a jerk saying this, is Black Widow. Not because I don't yeah. love the character, not because I don't love Scarlett Johansson, because I actually do, but because they're setting it before the events of Infinity War, and all I can think of is, why? Who cares? Like we're past that time frame. Like this is set within the, the time, you know, the, in, with, apparently before the events of Infinity War, um, you know, features a, a tale, a solo tale of Black Widow. And I just, I don't know what the purpose of that movie is. Well, I yeah, don't either. They really missed the boat. This movie should have come out years ago. I don't disagree with that, but you know, again, I'm going to have a little bit of faith in Marvel that they know what they're doing and yeah, uh, maybe sure we'll be pleasantly up. surprised. Yeah, I, I'm sure it's I'm sure there's a character coming out of that. Yeah. If it you know that it's going to be a you know a uh, a backdoor origin for the new Black Widow. Yeah, that's very possible, which you know, you know I, I would so you you make a good point. I'm sure it is set up for for a character kind of like Captain Marvel, right? Like Captain Marvel was set in the 80s or right. 90s, you know, to set up things that that take place in Endgame. So you could be you you may be onto something there, Aaron. Oh. So I'm, I you know I, again I, I kind of with you guys I feel like it's a, uh, a little out of place but I don't know I'm I'll see it. There's not a single one of these movies I'm not going to go see. Yeah, fair point. And one, the one that, that I'm, the, the one that I'm going to see be first in line for is Shang Chi. In fact, I feel like I'm just going to oh. go get in line for it now. Holy <laughs> shit! I mean, I'm ready to camp out for that one. I mean, who cannot thought? wait for Shang Chi. Shang Chi got a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I can't fucking wait. Looking at this movie list, I don't know. Maybe half of them I'll actually see in theaters. Oh, I'll see them all in theaters. Yeah. The opening weekend. Yeah. Uh, so the other one we haven't mentioned that I'm not sure if I'll even bother seeing in theaters is Blade. You know, it's really? Oh, yeah. I, I will absolutely yeah, I see that. I am not a fan of the character. I did enjoy the Wesley Snipes movie for what it was. But I don't have interest in the character. I and I don't know about bringing vampires into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, I think it's a great idea. I think they need to keep, they need to keep, you know, pushing the boundaries out uh, to show how rich a story environment Marvel is. Well, uh, and they I, did say it's not part of Phase Four, right? So it could be its own separate thing. Yeah. Um, you know, because uh, they they did say that the actor uh, Mahershala Mahershala Ali Mahershala Ali. Basically called Marvel and said, hey, like, I, I enjoyed working with you on Luke Cage. I really want to play Blade. And they're like, okay, you can play Blade. 
I don't get the I get the impression that's Academy a... <laughs> Award winning uh, actor. Okay, you can play Blade. Yeah. Okay, you can play Blade. I don't get the impression they've actually like figured out a movie. <laughs> I, I get the impression he called. He wants to play Blade, and they're like, "Okay, we'll figure something out." Um, but they they said it's not part of Phase Four. I don't get the impression they have a story or anything. I think they just have an actor and a desire to make this movie. Uh, but so that that one doesn't have a. I don't even think that one had a release date announced like the rest of them did. Well, if they're smart, they'll start carving out, you know, a corner for, you know, the Midnight Suns. Well, they kind of are, right? With Hulu, it's going to get Ghost Rider and I believe um, Hellstrom, right, is going to be another one. So I think they are starting to carve that niche out. But in the cinematic universe and start, I mean, start really kind of creating. You don't have to make a hundred million dollar movie. Right. To, to make a successful horror film. And I, 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 I think that Marvel could really kind of carve out their place for that. Yeah. I just want to see on the screen and I don't think it will ever happen. Johnny Blaze with the Hellfire shotgun. Would be sweet. That would be my fanboy moment to see him shooting a Hellfire shotgun. Well, I think your, your best opportunity for that is in a successful Blade franchise. Yeah, that's what I think. But, you know, I would love to see them, you know, you start getting some backdoor uh, vampire stuff. I I, I like it. I yeah. like the idea. Absolutely. Setting up for more. And, you know, if people bite and, on it. <laughs> and, you know, Marvel makes PG-13 films. And I there is a space in the market for a good PG-13 horror film. Absolutely. Uh, Annabelle is not it. <laughs> you know, because it's the same scares over and over again. I like Annabelle, it, jerk. I, <laughs> you know, but, but the problem is, is that the, the, the Annabelle films need to be rated R. They do. Because, I disagree. Be, because they, they pull back right when the scary part is happening. And the filmmakers there are not. Um, what's the what's the polite way to say this? They are not skilled enough to make a compelling, scary PG-13 film. They're not Steven Spielberg, right? Um, the the Marvel guys draw the talent that can do that. They can make they can push right up to the edge of PG-13 and make a a, a, a scary, thrilling, suspenseful horror film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's I what have, I'm looking forward to. So I have to say with the Marvel movies, phase two and three at least, I didn't have to be sold on any of them. I knew before the trailers came out, Phase Four is going to have to have sell me with some trailers. Yeah, and you know, we said that, but Ant Man. I never, yeah, I never imagined Ant Man or Guardians of the Galaxy to be good. They sold me on their trailers, and yeah. I went and saw them. Phase Four has to sell me on the trailers again because these are properties I just don't care about. I am really surprised that there was no hint, no indication, nothing about a Fantastic Four film. Yeah, I think they just they're not there yet, right? Um, and I get that. I just would have thought, you know, something, you yeah. know. I, I I can't they they can't have us wait till phase 5 for that. That's just too long. Especially since it's phase 4. Phase Fantastic 4. That's right. Duh. Yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of the Fantastic 4, Franklin Richards and Galactus have a conversation at the end of the universe in history of the Marvel Universe number one this week. Yeah, that's true. That's true because they're buddies. Yeah. 
So did you guys both read this? Billions of years. Yep, uh, I did. So, what'd you think? Um, it reminds me, I, I hate to put it in these terms, uh, and I'm not being critical when I say this, but it reminds me very much of uh, the encyclopedia of the Marvel, uh, what was it, the the official handbook of the Marvel Universe yes. yep. that came out back in the 80s. I um, had the same thought. And so, you know, I had that sense like, boy, I really want all this. I think I want it collected because it, it, it is very much sort of a history book. Beautiful pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting to see things placed in their timeline. But it's not a story. It's not a yeah. there, there's not a there, there's not a beginning, middle and end in the in, in this comic. And there's not one character going through. It's just somebody telling somebody the history of the Marvel Universe, you know, as the title might suggest. Yeah. Yeah, and apparently the Marvel Universe history is mostly based around Earth. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's uh, where we all are. Yeah. So you know, I the to your, the art is beautiful. Um, yeah, absolutely gorgeous. I, I I struggled with this because it is like a it is very much like a textbook. Um, yeah. But a textbook, it, it it would be like a textbook saying you know that your your American history textbook saying. The Civil War killed a lot of people. Then we hit World War II. Yeah. Then we hit the Great Depression. Like that's because everything is so basically it's just one like panel. A, I say so. It's just like a real, you know, textbook in the U.S. Yeah, but you know, at least we get full. No, I mean, at least we get full chapters on things. You know, or full yeah. you know sections on things in a textbook. Like here, you know, and I get it. It's a four issue miniseries, and but it moves at such a breakneck pace. Like I was like, there's, it's like okay, like I'm 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 basically getting that all the this is how everything happened in chronological order, but it's it's a bunch of pretty pictures explaining, uh, you know, but it it very much just like there's like you said there's no story and nothing is meaty enough for me to say, huh, okay, yeah. okay, that's what interesting. I found it, what I found interesting was the annotations at the end yeah, were almost as long as the book itself. Well, and I felt like the annotations at the end were were in several ways more rewarding than the pages that preceded them, right? Yeah. I mean, because as I was reading, I was like, I would have preferred that these be annotated to tell me which books this, these stories occurred in. Yeah. And so you have to go to the back of the book to find that. And I really wish that that kind of stuff had been incorporated into the earlier pages. Yeah, because so, they shouldn't fool it, themselves into thinking this is a story, right? Right. And I think that's why they put the annotations at the end, like, well, we don't want to disrupt the flow of the story. It's not a story. Right. Did either of you learn anything from any of it? Oh, yeah. Because the one that I probably should have known, but I'm not a Thor guy, I didn't know that Gaia was Thor's mother. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that I, was established, like, back in uh, the original Thor run, I want to say issue 300, uh, which was that whole Celestials War kind of thing. Uh, I mean, so that that's been around since 1982, 83, something like that. Yeah, the annotations mentioned that, and I saw how far back it went. So it wasn't like a new thing, but it's just something I've never seen in a Thor story. It's never been brought up. Yeah. It was uh, Thor Annual number 11, 1983. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I mean, there was quite a bit that I learned in, in this book, and that's, I guess, the benefit of it. And that's why I'll pick it up on sale or in trade. Um, cause there, there was like, Oh, okay. Okay. Like, I mean, there were, there were some interesting aspects of how 
uh, of explanation, um, you know, about the first vampire, Varney, and, and things like that. You know, I knew a lot about the Celestials and the first host and the second host because I read that Jason Aaron. It's funny, as much as it comes from the 80s, so much of this is also recent retconning. Um, right. There's a lot of pulled from the Jonathan Hickman Shield book. Yep. Um, stuff like that. Well, and you know, it's funny is that, you know, you see characters like one of the one of the characters that I was kind of amused by and is, you know, an original Hulk character, uh, you know, from the very earliest issues of the Hulk. And that's Tyrannus. Yeah. You know, and that, that he's mentioned, I think, twice in, in the history. Um, and I was like, wow. I mean, you know, th- he's such a kind of a minor character, um, yeah. even though he, yeah. you know, he featured kind of big in the early uh, Hulk books. It was just kind of kind of nice to see him there. And one of my all time favorite uh, Fantastic Four runs, which also tied in to the original Nova run, was the story around the Sphinx. And I, I love that that's represented here. So, I mean, yeah. there's also there's a heavy amount of nostalgia in this book for me because I'm like, I read that. I read that. Yep. I read that. I, the one that shocked me was uh, the Master of the World, an yes. Alpha Flight villain. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Celine. Seeing him in there. Like, they brought in Celine from that X-Force crossover. Yeah, a few and years Diablo. Back. And... Yeah. So, I mean, there, you know, there, there, are, there are some deep cuts. Um, yeah. it, it is very much a love letter. And, God, had to be carefully researched. Um, yeah. You know it. Which is why I'm you gonna get pick a guy a... like Mark Wade to write it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with Paul, though. I'm going to pick it up in trade at this point. I don't need this in individual issues, and it'll be cheaper in trade. Yeah, it's not a $4 book to me, right? Each issue is going to be 4 bucks, and that means I'll have spent 16 bucks on it, all told. I don't need to spend 16 bucks on this. Well, and I'm thinking that this is actually one of those books I might want in a hardcover. You know, I might want this on my shelf as a research book. The only thing I wonder is, will the annotations be in the trade? Probably. Will it be in the hardback? I would hope so. You know, they're going to release this thing so many times. They're going to have, you yeah. know, an ultimate edition, yeah. <laughs> you know. a revised edition, because, you know, apparently right. this is going to go until the future also. But, you know, in a couple well, years, the future will be different. <laughs> and you remember, you know, way back when, when you were collecting the first run of uh, the handbook of, uh, you know, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. And then you realize, God dang it. Now it's got to be revised because something changed over an alpha flight, yeah. you know. And and so I mean that's that's super annoying. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know it. it I, I, if you're on the fence about picking it up, I would say wait for the trade. Yeah, I think it's an awfully pretty book, and I think it's it's a nice it's a nice reference for people who are maybe newer to comics, um, you know, or newer to the Marvel uh, storylines, because uh, it's nice. I mean, it shows you how deep and rich the the background is. Yeah. Exactly. It does show how far back things go that are referenced in comic books, right? Like, okay, yeah, this they like. It's not like Mister Sinister just popped out of, his, of someone's ass. Like he he genuinely like has a history to him um, right. that was established in that uh, Gene Gray and Cyclops book. Yep. Yep. No, I, I thought I, I thought it was really good. I just don't think it's a book that I want to read piecemeal. Agreed. Yeah. Well, actually, we, we, I'm looking at it. We only talk about number ones this week. Marvel had a lot of number ones, um, which is probably why it's so unusual. You know, we, we have this, which is both why we don't talk about Marvel very often, because they have <laughs> n- nothing but number ones every couple months. Um, but why they, they we just happen to have like all these number ones in one podcast, including Jane Foster Valkyrie number one. Um, you know, as we mentioned, Jane Foster will be assuming the role of Thor 
in the movies, but she's already been there, done that in the comic books. And now after the um, the Valkyrie have been killed during the events of War of the Realm, uh, in, Jane Foster is the sole surviving, or I guess the heir, I should say, to the Valkyrie name, and also the sole surviving Valkyrie. And so Jason Aaron and Al Ewing uh, write the book. Kafu is the artist. And, uh, you know, I'm very curious what you guys thought of this. I'm not real wild about the artwork. Really? I like the artwork. I uh, And it may be that I'm okay with the pencils, that I'm not wild about the coloring. There is a muddiness to the way uh, Valkyrie is colored. Um, You know, there's not a lot of distinction between her her, uh, you know, chest piece versus her leggings, even though they're two different colors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very subtle in, in that there, there's a lot of darkness on the page, even though that it's, uh, the setting is very bright. I just, I, I was frustrated by that. I, it, there is a, uh, I can't tell if it's the, 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 the digitalness, it's the color palette that the colorist is working with. And I don't care for it. Hmm. That didn't bother me as much. Yeah. And, and I feel like there should be more standout. You know, uh, Jane Foster is brunette and her hair is not altogether distinctive. The The color of her hair and the the contrast of her hair is not altogether different from what she's wearing. And I just I, I find that really annoying. Hmm. Yeah, it didn't bother me, but yeah. I could see bothered the hell out of me looking at bothered it. the hell out of me. But that said, I, I enjoyed the story, even though I figured out and, and I don't know if it was just supposed to be really clear to us as readers who the guy was that, uh, you know, uh, stole dragon fang, uh, mm-hmm. Valkyrie sword, um, the uh, previous Valkyrie, Brunhilde, um, because I mean, I knew who that was from the jump. Did really? you guys? I didn't. Boy, I did. Yeah. I didn't get the book. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. So I and now the, looking you know, at it, I do because I guess I wasn't paying attention to the. Um, I, I you read your stuff in guided view, and I don't. Uh huh. And I think you know, had I read it in guided view, I would have seen more of the embellishments on the costume right. of the character to to make it more obvious. Because nothing in the dialogue really told me that. No, but the you know when you see the the silhouette of the guy standing in the alleyway and then you see his gloves, I'm like, oh well, that's bullseye, you know, that's clearly bullseye. And yeah. then you see when uh, I mean the only thing you don't see is the bullseye on his forehead, right? Yeah. And but I felt like they were trying to surprise us, and I'm like, you guys did a kind of a piss poor job of that. Well, surprise me. Uh, <laughs> okay, so so you surprised Paul. Okay. <laughs> Well, I, so yeah, I actually enjoyed the book. Um, I did too. More than I, I thought I, I was going to, because I honestly, I figured this was going to be one and done. Yeah, no, I enjoyed the book too. I also, I really appreciated the cameo from Brunhild, yeah. and that she she gives some information to Jane in the book that Jane seems to be a little surprised by. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jane is starting to ask questions like, you know, uh, Brunhild uh, took over a human's body to become Valkyrie. Um, and she starts wondering, is that what's happening to me? You know, my body completely changes like it did when I was Thor. Yeah. But am I thinking differently or, you know, you know, I'm, I'm I, certainly a number of other things are different. Um, and, you know, Valkyrie lets her know that this is a bigger thing than becoming Thor. Thor was just being a god. This is a job. This is a responsibility. 
Um, you know, you've got the mantle of the Valkyrie and there's a lot that comes with that. And Jane's like, well, like what? And, you know, we cut away. Um, I, 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 I rather like that. I don't yeah. care. I do not care for the coloring on the book. And I, and I think that's my issue. Um, I think that the pencils are great, but the, the coloring really bugs me. Yeah. Eh, you know, it didn't bother me as much, but I, like I said, I, I enjoyed the book. I will, I will pick up issue two. Uh, Did you like her Valkyrie vision, Paul, where she, you know, because beyond sight. Yeah. You know, Valkyries, uh, their responsibility is to, you know, take the the noble fallen in battle and escort them to Valhalla, where they you know will enjoy comradeship uh, until Ragnarok, where they'll fight in the last war. But, uh, you know, she can she can see, you know, things that that no God can see. Right. And she can also see hints about people's death. And so, you know, there'll be like a a little hint like, okay, your death is going to be a long time from now. Your death is maybe nearer. And then if somebody is right about to die, it's gigantic around them, her her sort of death vision. Yeah. And, uh, you know, spoilers, Heimdall dies in this issue. Yeah. Right in front of her, killed by bullseye. Um, So... Yeah, which is Heimdall, crazy. Heimdall. Heimdall has really fallen on rough times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh, killed by bullseye, right? Killed well, by bullseye. you know, in in theory, but it, it could just be a shocking first issue kill cliffhanger. I'm sure no, he's, he's dead, Paul. No, he's dead. No, he's dead. Valkyrie Vision didn't lie. Ah, okay. Well, he's as dead as Cyclops, right? Yeah. And Jean so, Grey. You know, <laughs> that's right. It's comics, Paul. Uh, <laughs> What the image of Bullseye riding the the winged horse, you know, riding Valkyrie's yeah. winged horse and swinging Dragon Fang around, is pretty awesome. It is. I really, though, I I don't care for the for the reveal. You know, I don't think they they did a good job of of hiding the mystery of who the villain was. But I got a real kick out of seeing Bullseye riding the winged horse. Yeah. You know, and you know, Dragon Fang. You know, they tell us some things about Dragon Fang, and one of the things about Dragon Fang is that it increases your skill. So whatever skill you have with a given weapon, you know, whatever skill you have with the sword, it will increase your skill. So bullseye is already the master of whatever, you know, he, he's using as a weapon. So you can only imagine how effective he'll be with, uh, with dragon fang. And Paul, before we go, let's talk a little bit about Valkyrie's weapon because she's got sort of this, uh, this sort of Omni tool. It's like the all weapon or something. That's what they call it. Something like that. And I hate it, Paul. Yeah, it's pretty dumb. It is. It is wicked stupid. I would rather her. I mean, I'm hoping that that she just puts that in her pocket when she recovers Dragon Fang, because you know that's what I need to see Valkyrie have as a sword. Yeah, yeah. So all wep- the all weapon or whatever is pretty much just it is. It is whatever she needs it to be. It's a last. It's an omni tool. It's, it's a mace. It's, yeah, it's, it's an omni tool. Yeah, exactly. you know, it's. it's <laughs> it's her Leatherman tool that she yeah. keeps in her pocket. So, but it could be a sword. It's glowy in, in, in yellow. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> it's but a yellow lantern ring. It, it, kind I, of. Yeah, yeah. But I I did like the book, and I am in for number two. Yeah, me too. Me too. And But one thing that – one book that I am, have been very excited to talk about is my book of the week, House of Ten, number one, The Return of Jonathan Hickman to Marvel – um, before we get into the book, just some brief um, comments on it. You know, Hickman uh, has has Hickman's been very open and honest in in interviews leading up to this book um, in the press 
uh, leading up to it. And he basically said, um, DC like contacted me. I was in active negotiations with them, and basically Marvel said, you can do anything you want. What do you want to do? And he's like, well, there's one dream project left I have at Marvel before I do DC, and that's the X-Men. Um, he says that after that, there's pretty much all my other dream projects are at DC. So this is probably, you know, of course, it's a multi-year thing, but I think this is probably Hickman's real last uh, Marvel epic. Uh, and it starts here with House of Ten, number one. And, you know, I, I think I think we should let Wayne go first on this one since he didn't read Valkyrie. Yeah, I, I'm shocked to hear you say it was your book of the week because I really don't like this direction. Um, go ahead. So some of my complaints on this, we'll, we'll get into first what the story was. The story is, once again, there's a nation for the X-Men and... It's a safe haven for mutants, and they're all going to come there. The difference being this time, Xavier has is making a deal with all the countries of the world to give them medications grown by uh, Krakoa to let them be a sovereign nation. It is a definitely a bit out there story-wise. I absolutely hate the, the design of Xavier. He, it seems like they've made him younger, but he's wearing the Cerebro helmet that has an X over it. And appearance-wise, he reminds me of the ultimate version of Reed Richards. Yeah, we Reed noticed Richards that, too. And I don't know if that's intentional or if Jonathan Hickman just really likes that design. Yeah, if he does, it's just a horrible design. I mean, it looks really terrible. Uh it doesn't feel like, I mean, the story has some uniqueness to it, but it doesn't feel like it's something we haven't seen before with Now There's a Nation. The only difference is they're relying more and more on Krakoa as a character I've never cared for. Uh, yeah, I just, I do not like this direction at all. I mean, there's, it's again, the X-Men are going to be standoff from the superheroes. Uh there's a scene in here where they deal with the Fantastic Four, and it ends up being a standoff. So once again, they're going to be ostracized from the other superheroes, which we've seen way too much, spread across the world. But yeah, I overall, I just don't like the direction that he's going here. You know, uh, so for me, I, I loved the book. Um, I, I share some of your concerns. I, I thought the book was extremely well written. Um, you know, I like you know Jonathan Hickman. His strength is in some in science fiction, and there are some strong science fiction elements to this that I really enjoy. Um, the last page of the book, um, it, I, I thought was was a real like the last panel of the, the book. last panel of the book <laughs> was just amazing. Um, but I do share one of Wayne's concerns, which is. Are we just basically going to see asshole X Men? Like, is that you know, is that what what we're getting, or are they not heroes anymore? They're, you know, they're they're kind of this. You know, he's setting up this X Nation, which again, yes, is a concept we've seen before. You know, this standoffish nation that they're building, you know, to something there. Um, or are we going to see the X Men be heroes? And I don't know yet. But the, what they're setting up is the latter. They're setting up, you know, this this standoff with the the mutant nation um, concept. Uh, but that being said, I, I genuinely enjoyed this book, and the art was beautiful. The writing was strong. Um, it's very Hickman esque. You get a lot of like Hickman Hickman done text pages, and and you, know, you get a unique mutant language that you can look up. Um, 
the translations online. You get a list of who are the current Omega-level mutants and what the definition of an Omega mutant is. This is like the best of both worlds. You get your textbook elements and your, yeah. your big superhero action. Yeah, I uh, like that Cyclops I, decided not to fight the Fantastic Four, but he still came off as an utter and complete dick, with, especially with his parting line. But Cyclops line. is a dick. Cyclops is a dick. I mean, that's but, long established. He's a dick. <laughs> that was one of the things Hickman said he wanted to fix, though, was Cyclops being a dick. Well, maybe he's not going to fix it in the very first issue. Yeah, maybe he's He definitely did. <laughs> so I loved this book as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it scratches all those Hickman itches, you know, because I, I love Jonathan Hickman. I love his independent stuff. I love his Marvel stuff. Um, like Wayne said, you know, Xavier looks an awful lot like Ultimate Reed Richards. And I think that's intentional. Um, I think there's something going on there that somehow connects Xavier to Ultimate Reed Richards. Um, I I am fascinated by the first couple of pages on this book, which shows uh, Xavier there on Krakoa and we're hatching mutants. We don't talk about that elsewhere in the book, but we see it. And in a very creepy manner, Xavier uh, Xavier's movements remind me also not just the way he's drawn in terms of the the great big head helmet and the the very slim body, but the way he moves, the way he holds his hands, the way he his uh, his legs are positioned reminds me very much of Ultimate Reed Richards. And then in a very creepy manner, he just says to me, my X-Men, as these people have hatched out of these, you know, containers on Krakoa. Um, Which also reminds me of Ultimate Reed Richards when he had his plan of evolving people inside of his city. Yeah. And that's why I I strongly believe that there's a connection between those two. Um, I I, I just, those two pages, I knew I was in when I read those two pages, but um, there's a lot to like about this book. And one of the things I like about it is the plan that Xavier has for establishing uh, the nation of Krakoa. And that is that we're going to give you you uh, humans, you know, the human nations, access to uh, pharmaceuticals generated by Krakoa. One is uh, to eliminate, the, you know, uh, mental diseases like Alzheimer's, dementia, that sort of thing. Uh, another one's like a longevity drug, and I forget what the other one is. But there are these three pharmaceuticals. We'll give them to you. All you have to do is recognize our status as an independent nation. It's all you have to do. And of course, you know, the nations don't really send diplomats. <laughs> they send a bunch of, you know, secret agents to, to figure out what's going on. And of course, it's not Xavier who's giving them the tour of Krakoa and really demonstrating how strong these guys are. It's Magneto, which I find really interesting, uh, you know, that you'd have Magneto be your diplomat. But, you know, Xavier was smart enough to know that they're not sending diplomats, right? They're sending guys to ascertain the strength of Krakoa. Um, I thought this book was terrific in setting the tone, setting the pace, uh, kind of identifying the stakes for this. Um, I, 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 I think the visuals are just amazing. And uh, while I really strongly dislike these director uh, edition books, I thought this was actually one of those books that was really well served by that, you know, yeah. because Hickman is – such a visionary. And it was nice to see Hickman's Fantastic Four show up. It was. Uh, 
and, you know, uh, parlay with Cyclops. And I think the choice that Cyclops made not to engage, because I was like, oh, shit, you know, we're going to have a big superhero fight. And we don't. And I think that that's smart. I think that you know, that's smart for the character. It's smart for the storytelling, you know, because so, Cyclops says, we'll take care of this another way. So one thing that he introduced that I really did like was this idea of the technology that's up for grabs how Reed and Tony had made a deal of anything that they created. They named each other as the, you know, in case anything happened to them, the other would take ownership of it to keep it out of the hands of damage control. And then they point out that Reed was gone and Tony was thought of as dead. Right. So I really liked that as a, I like that they would think ahead and plan for that. Yeah. It's smart. It's, it's indicative of Hickman, right? Like he definitely, he plans his stuff out, and there are things that'll pay off. I don't know how long he's planning on being on the X books. They they did announce a, a number of X Men books at San Diego Comic Con. Um, we didn't actually talk about that, but um, there's a whole line of X books coming out of these Powers of Ten and House of Ten book. We're gonna get X Men written by Jonathan Hickman, New Mutant written by Jonathan Hickman and Ed Brisson. Marauders from Jerry Dugan, Excalibur from Teeny Howard, Fallen Angels by Brian Edward Hill, and X-Force by Benjamin Percy. Uh, so they're kind of relaunching the X titles, but with, you know, Hickman will be doing the uh, the writing tours on the main X-Men book and, and co-writing New Mutants. And they revealed well, all the teams on those books as well. I gotta say, the last page of this story, uh, and I'm not gonna spoil anything, but I am gonna say this last page was phenomenal. Yeah. The writing on the page, the art on the page, uh, the the drama of it, and it just that very last panel. Uh, I, I you if you have ever enjoyed the X Men, you should pick up this book. Yeah. Because I I, I I really profoundly enjoyed it. Only Magneto could deliver those lines. God, it was fantastic. I mean, I've, I I I I finished that page and I was like. Holy shit. I mean, it was so cool. It was so cool. It was. And that's, I haven't felt that way about an X-Men book in forever. Agreed. Well, and one thing I will say uh, about the book is that if I, whether you are a digital comics reader or not, if you have the Comixology app or an iPad, I do recommend picking up the uh, director's cut that's available on Comixology because you get, for the same cost, as the print edition you also get a full cover gallery of all the variant covers you get the full script and you get to see how jonathan hickman scripts his books which is as crazy as you can imagine and i I like seeing how he talks to the artist i mean because that's really what a comic script is is how do you talk to the artist Mm -hmm. and i found that fascinating yeah um and you get the i believe the inked pages i don't know that it, it goes into pencils but you at least get the inked pages at the the back of the book so it's you know it's it's pretty oh, inks and color pages um so definitely worth checking out and uh wayne wayne picked up one final marvel book that we'll talk about this week marvel's epilogue we talked about it last week in our um when we were saying hey here's what's coming out next week um, that they were doing this this one-shot Marvel's epilogue written by Kurt Busiek, art by Alex Ross. Um, and Aaron and I didn't pick it up because I think when we talked about it, we were um, we were kind of like, hmm, it's only like 14 pages or something like that. But uh, Wayne, you picked it up, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yep, it's a small story. 
I am a big fan of the original Marvel series. I like that take on the everyman living in that world. This particular story takes place during an X-Men issue. Um, I'm not sure what the actual issue number is, but he completely recreates panels of that comic in this story. Uh, and it, the basic X-Men story, they're, you know, they're at Times Square doing the Christmas. I guess it's not Times Square. Wherever they have the big tree in New York. Uh, but they're doing a Christmas thing and then Sentinels attack. So being a Marvel's book, this is from Phil Arch and his he's out with his daughters. And the daughters have their cameras. And when this big thing happens, he's more concerned about let's get away, get them to safety. And you, it really feels like it fits right with the original story. I mean, the voice, he recaptured the voice perfectly. The artwork, of course, is incredible because it's Alex Ross. And he did a wonderful job of paying homage to the original comics. I mean, completely recreating the pictures, except these background characters that were in the original issue are now Phil Urch and his kids, which I thought was really, you know, he took what was already there and managed to work them in. Uh, so does it read as an epilogue, or is it just kind of like another little story? Except it really in context. It really reads as an epilogue. Okay. It is Phil coming to terms with the. This is the world that his kids live in now, not the world that he did. It is he is moving past all of the pictures and the books, and his kids see the world completely differently. So it really does function as an epilogue and not just one more story. Hmm. Uh, it seems like a natural epilogue to it as well. It fit, in, it fit very well. So I was very happy I picked it up. I uh, enjoyed the story, short though it was. It felt like it really did belong in the original story. And it is a natural continuation slash end to the original story. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be collected at some point. That that might be another one I wait for a sale on, right? Like I just I couldn't justify the cost for uh, for the length the the length of the new material. And I know they had plenty of back matter, but just wasn't enough to draw me in. Yeah, it, there's a ton of back material. It's all interview and conversations. Yeah, and then there's pencils of the of every page as well before they were painted. Interesting. So, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, next week is a fifth week. So, um, there are, but there are still a couple of books coming out. Uh, from DC Comics, we get The Batman Who Laughs, issue seven, which is the finale of that series and also the lead in to the upcoming Batman uh, Superman ongoing series. From Marvel Comics, we get a new issue of Fantastic Four with uh, The Thing versus Hulk. In fact, Get ready for the biggest Hulk versus Thing fight of the century. Plus, um, it also features the saga of the Future Foundation, probably setting up the new Future Foundation ongoing. Um, Marvel will also be releasing a trade paperback of the first volume of Invaders. Uh, in case you haven't picked it up yet, Aaron and I have been talking about it for, for quite a bit now on the show, the, the, the first uh, six issues from Chip Zdarsky and Butch Geis and Carlos Magno. Love the book. First trade paperback comes out. Also, a new issue of Marvel Comics Presents comes out. And uh, Avengers issue 22, which I normally wouldn't mention, but it's the challenge of the Ghost Riders. Uh, you know, we, we've been talking about 
Ghost Rider on on this very episode, uh, and so it's it's about Robbie Reyes wanted to, wanting to to get rid of the Ghost Rider. Also features Johnny Blaze, who's the current King of Hell, um, and you know it's leading into the upcoming uh, Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider book. At some point, Johnny Blaze does at least uh, from solicitations become Ghost Rider again, and finally. Powers of Ten. Uh, issue one comes out next week from Jonathan Hickman and R.B. Silva. So we, we've been talking about House of Ten for the next, I guess, 12 weeks, because um, they'll alternate week over week. Uh, House of Ten will come out one week. Powers of Ten will come out the next week uh, over the next 12 weeks. They're both six-issue miniseries, um, you know, and, and kind of establish the, the new era of the X-Men. Hmm. Yes, sir. Well, that sounds like something that we'll have to talk about. Maybe. We'll think yeah, about it. Perhaps. Well, excellent. Well, uh, we hope you have enjoyed this episode of Funny Books with Aaron and Polly and that guy Wayne. Uh, as I said, if you haven't caught the remainder of our San Diego Comic-Con 2019 coverage, be sure and check out the Star Trek with Aaron and Polly feed located at iomgeek.com and uh, last week's episode of Funny Books so that you can get all of the San Diego news. Paul? I think that if they wanted to talk to us, they could give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll want a coveted, valuable ideology of madness surprise. And we'd love to hear what you thought about this week's comics. You can also check us out on social media, uh, Instagram and Facebook, IOMGeek, on Twitter, at Ideology Madness. Excellent. We will chat with you next time, guys. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.